Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host, and you're listening to Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Today we're going to take a look into the minds of men. Yes, men. What is going on with men today? Why do men find it so hard to commit? How do men view relationships these days? What are their fears and anxieties? Well, we will also be covering domestic violence, fatherless families, divorces, healthy fathers, and the effects on children. Joining me today is um, my long-lost pal, comedian Peter Anthony. Wow. What happened to you? It's been a, it's been a while. Like, so, did you get married? No, no. I've just been uh, sort of away and on the road and working a lot. And so we haven't connected, uh, but I'm happy to be here today. Uh, with comedy? You've been away a with... lot of A lot with stand-up comedy and then a little bit of me time as how's, well. And how's that career going? Everything's yeah. great. Yeah? yeah. I uh, always say you... nothing to brag about, but nothing to complain about. Yeah. Did you... I'm waiting for something to brag did about you... to happen. <laughs> Did you find a nice lady? I I have started dating a nice young lady. Why is it that every time I talk to you, you just started dating a lady? <laughs> How long has it been? It must, it must be something to, something to do with that commitment phobia stuff you were talking about <laughs> right, off, the, right, off the start yeah. of the show. So, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about that today. Right. How long have you been dating? Uh, this is this one's pretty new, so it's about a month. Oh, for goodness sakes. Talk to me in six months, okay? Hey, that's a long-term relationship for me, Laura. <laughs> we have activist for gender equality in studio. He co-founded the Canadian Centre for Men and Families, which is known as Toronto's first hub for the health and well-being of boys, men, fathers, and families. But it's now nationwide, isn't it? Welcome, Justin Trottier. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yes, thanks for joining us today. So let's start with the Canadian Centre for Men and Families. You offer parenting courses, I believe, to help men. You offer counselling and legal support, employment and career advice, and and so much more, which you can uh, talk to to us about. Uh, And I'm curious, what services men usually acquire the most? Right. So as you said, we're a hub of programs and services. So everything from legal services to trauma counseling for men who have experienced all kinds of uh, different forms of crisis in their life. Uh, We have uh, parenting programs, in particular fathering after separation or divorce. And essentially, we're trying to fill in the gaps. There are some really significant gaps for men, uh, programs and services that just don't exist for for boys and men um, that are available for women and girls. We'd like to see more of these programs for, for women, but in many cases, Cases, they're just non-existent when it comes to men. Um, I would say men in crisis, that's who we really serve. And the crisis can take many different forms, uh, domestic abuse, other kinds of violence or trauma, um, and then family breakdown would also be considered a kind of a crisis. Uh, and so we offer a number of programs for co-parenting dads, single parenting dads, uh, dads in all kinds of unique parenting situations. And, and how can these services improve their relationships? Well, I think whenever people are in crisis and they need assistance, um, research shows that if they encounter positive supporting agencies uh, when they engage in help-seeking behaviors, that that correlates directly uh, with their emotional well-being. And so if men are getting help that they need, um, they're more likely to uh, engage in in positive behaviors. If they don't find the help uh, in a positive, in a supportive way, um, then there is some chance that they might uh, act in in ways that are not in their own best interest and and maybe harmful to themselves or others. 
So clearly when men get help, they're more likely not only to benefit for themselves, but also for all those that they encounter, their partners, their children, and the communities in which they live. And it's my understanding that after doing this show for three years and having various different counselors on here and therapists, that men often don't seek help. So what makes your service different than others? It is unapologetically a male-friendly space, and that is what is unique about it. Um, There are many, many agencies in Toronto and, and outside the city that offer similar services to the ones that we provide. Although in a couple of cases, what we do is, is pretty groundbreaking. A domestic abuse support group just for men, uh, fathering after separation or divorce program, those are truly unique. But the mental health programs we run are not unlike what you can find at other agencies. But what is unique there is that it's a male-positive, male-friendly space. Uh, the counselors and the other professionals that work and volunteer there are trained to assist men by understanding the male psyche, if you will, and understanding how to reduce the kind of barriers or obstacles that men often face in terms of getting the kind of help that they might need. Is this something that's uh, supported through provincial or federal government? Is it, or is it privately funded? Through virtually no government funding. Um, because of the novelty of what we do, uh, we were able to establish ourselves almost exclusively through private philanthropy, Literally thousands of Canadians who support our work think it's about time that there were programs to fill these critical gaps. Many of them have had themselves have gone through these experiences, say a messy separation or divorce, or they have loved ones who have dealt with, let's say, mental health um, problems. In some really tragic cases, they've, let's say, lost a a son to suicide. It's it's just awful to think about. Um, But we do have a clientele and a donor base who have who understand viscerally the kind of issues that we're that we're dealing with, and that's why we're able to establish ourselves. Now, as we g- gain you know, credibility and become better known in the community, we're now able to get some funding from public sources, but it's still a very uh, minor component of our, of our budget. So we have so much to cover today, but let's start with domestic abuse. So in general, most people would assume or visualize like a big, strong male abusing like a fragile female but it's it's not always the case it doesn't always work out like that does it right so what what we know is that domestic violence is very diverse Um, it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes it spans all ethnicities all races all socioeconomic status Um, we're also increasingly becoming aware it also spans all genders all sexual orientations all gender identities etc and so we've we've become i think as a society much more sensitive to the fact that boys and men can also experience domestic abuse but not quite to the point where we have much to provide them in terms of programs or services not to the point where public policy is there to support men uh, when they need help from police or other uh, other social institutions so there's still quite a bit of work to do we need to take a break but when we come back we're going to talk about divorce the legal system and men stay with us You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We're talking to Justin Trotter today. He's an activist for gender equality. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Justin is also the uh, founder, or he co-founded the Canadian Centre for Men and Families, uh, which is known as Toronto's first hub for the health and well-being of boys, men, fathers, and families. Joining me also today is my good friend, comedian Peter Anthony, which I've missed so much. Now, on the break, 
Peter was telling me that he got abused once by a lady. So would you, would you like to I did. tell I was us a, a little bit about that? Yeah, I was in a relationship that eventually got to a point where there was just some physical abuse happening. And it was really it was really weird as a, as a dude to experience something like that because you don't really know how to react. It, other than sort of almost, I know it sounds weird, but almost laughing. Like, like what is happening here? And it's just one of these helpless situations that just, it, it happened like once. Like was she slap you in the face? Would she punch you in the pun- arm? Pu- punching and then just throwing things and stuff like that. And then it got to a point where I, I just ended the relationship because I'm like, this is not going to get, um, this is not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And so it was weird to deal with though. Even telling my friends about it, it we were kind of laughing, but I know it's not a funny subject but it's as guys it's just difficult to to admit that your tiny girlfriend is wailing on you and stuff like that and then eventually it was one of these things where i actually had to go talk to someone about it and just sort through it and the end the end of the relationship and everything at any point did you want to call the police no um but if it got to a point where it was really really bad i probably wouldn't have hesitated but i then i hear about situations where if I did call the police, I would be the one that got arrested. Yeah. So Justin, so, I was I was watching yeah. one of your videos, and and pretty and you say that pretty much in the video. So if there's an altercation at the home and the the husband calls the police, uh, most of the times they're going to take him away or from from the home, right? Well, let me just say, first of all, thank you for opening up because that's not easy to do. It's not easy for anybody, but I think there are particular barriers that make it quite hard on men to acknowledge that fact that you were laughing about it, however you opened up to your friends, that, that is the important thing. And we want to be there for, for boys and men who are experiencing that. Um, it, we don't have, I can't give you an exact uh, a figure for it, but I know from now hundreds of anecdotes that all have the same kind of pattern that yes, when men call the police for help, the police are far more likely to enter that scenario before they even arrive with a preconceived perspective on what domestic abuse looks like. A stereotype, if you will, of domestic abuse. Men who who are themselves the ones to call in, if they have uh, witnesses who attest to their side of the story, if they have even physical signs of injury, say they're bleeding, still the police go in looking at them with suspicion, often remove them from the house, sort of ask questions later. It's just break up these two parties, but let's treat the man as though he must be the default aggressor. And in a number of cases, he is arrested, uh, again, until they can sort of sort things out if they ever do. Where, and, and this where was, does that leave men? I, I just want to say, though, a Less lot of this... Less likely to ever call the police again. I guess. A lot exactly. of this stuff, like the pattern of what I experienced was a lot of this stuff was when we were actually talking about our our relationship and then it would snowball into being an aggressive situation on her behalf. And I was just almost incredulous. Like, what? why are you being physically aggressive right now? This makes no sense. We're just talking about how we feel about each other and then it would just get well, to a crazy just, spot and yeah. and I mean I would never I'm not I don't I would never strike a, a, a I wouldn't even strike another dude let alone you know what I mean I'm not a violent guy so it was it was weird to know how to even react because I was almost in a state of shock that but I sense. believe that some people Absolutely. can bring out the violent in you in me no in anybody <laughs> I don't know if I have any in me <laughs> maybe yeah you probably drove her nuts who knows what you were telling her <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. She okay. drove me nuts too, so um, it was poisonous. So uh, how can men rebuild relationships after false claims such as rape or abuse, let's say? Because I'm sure you see a lot of those cases That's well. That's the flip side of it. So a lot of men in these sorts of scenarios, and let's say it's happening in the context of, uh, of a relationship that's possibly breaking down for, for good reasons. Um, and if there are kids involved and it becomes a messy separation, divorce with child custody fights, um, then you could have a scenario and it happens 
regularly where the man is the victim, but also is falsely accused of being the perpetrator, and that that false accusation may be used to kind of manipulate family court proceedings in favor of the uh, the female partner. Um, I'm not saying every woman does this, or even many women do it, but that the system is built in such a way that it incentivizes those who do want to manipulate for their own benefit. Um, but just to return for a moment to men as victims of domestic abuse in the context of a family breakup where there are children involved. I mean, imagine the catch-22 that that father is in, because if he calls the police and reports it, and he knows there's a chance he'll then be removed from the house, maybe arrested, he is now leaving his children behind with an abusive, with his abusive partner. If he doesn't call, then he's subjecting himself to abuse. But a lot of men do the calculation and think, I better stay in here in order to protect my children, even at the expense of my own welfare. And what type of support is offered to men who have been falsely accused by women of these types of allegations? There is very little. In fact, there are very few consequences on anybody who makes false allegations of sexual assault or harassment or that kind of thing. Um, We are seeing due process under attack. Uh, Bill C-51, without getting into the details of that legislation, is making it harder for uh, a defense to be mounted um, by an accused party. Uh, The ability to cross-examine an accuser is being curtailed or or limited by that particular piece of legislation, which recent to Saskatchewan court has declared unconstitutional, so it may be going to the Supreme Court. Um, And so all of these things are making it harder for anybody who's falsely accused, but in particular, it's often men who are on the receiving end of a false accusation. Now, we do run a support group called Survivors of False Accusations, which provides free access to lawyers and support by discussions with others who have been through this and you can sort of learn what kind of techniques have worked to cope with this situation by other men who have been through it but there's no government funding to support uh, the legal rights of falsely accused men or anybody else we are going to talk about divorce the legal system and men when we come back on the dating and relationship show Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host. I'm from singleinthecity.ca. Joining me today is comedian Peter Anthony, as well as activist for gender equality, uh, Justin Trottier. So I want to talk about divorce, the legal system, and men now, okay? So when it comes to divorce and the legal system, a lot of the time it seems to be easier for women than it does for men, especially when it comes to custody of the children. So I want to take a minute to cover this topic. So in your opinion, do the courts favor mothers or fathers uh, when looking at child custody in a relationship that has ended, and why do you think this is? So let me just back up because I think there's actually a really uh, there's a good news here that I want to tell, and that is that men over the last let's say 50, 60 years have really been stepping up as dads. Uh, studies and surveys show that men are taking on more and more of the child care work, more and more of the housework. And that that's really great. At the same time, of course, women have become more and more uh, involved in professional life. That's the good news. The bad news is the family courts really don't know any of that. They're still stuck in the 1950s with this outdated and frankly sexist view of gender roles. Um, they're sort of holding to that to that era of how uh, gender relations used to work. I see that, yes. And so uh, when, uh, when there's a high conflict uh, divorce, um, the family court judges are going in presupposing gender stereotypes in terms of how they award uh, custody. 
Um, and the unfortunate thing is you have a lot of dads who are loving, wonderful parents, um, but they're not being allowed to continue operating as, as, full, as full fathers coming out of uh, the separation or divorce. And it's the children who are um, victims in, in those yeah, sorts it, of situations. Sorry to cut you off, but I, I mean, there's not a guy, at least my age, alive that doesn't know a friend or someone that this has happened to where their family's been pulled from them. And, uh, and it seems really unfair. And then they're also paying out of their pocket to support the new the the ex who's with the new dude but who makes more money and they're still taking their money it's just it's absolutely insane but isn't there a reason why the children have been pulled from them because i know people as well that had they they split the kids 50 50 they might end up having to pay more in alimony and child support yeah, well that but, sounds fair okay but i but i i do see a lot of cases where you know they get the kids half the time that's fair, though. That's probably what they that, want. Right. That, that is what we think should be the default legally. The default should be 50-50. It's called equal shared parenting. There is a big movement to enshrine that in divorce, in the Divorce Act. Unfortunately, the federal government just amended the Divorce Act. They did a lot of good things, but they missed, I think, the holy grail of fixing a, a, a bankrupt system, which is equal shared parenting, making that the default presumption, a rebuttable presumption. If there's good ground to deny one parent equal parenting or even access completely if the parent is uh there's you can demonstrate that the parent is abusive uh, or dangerous obviously equal parenting is off the table but it's a rebuttable presumption my organization has been leading a coalition of groups to push for that Uh, we made lots of depositions in front of the various government committees that were considering the uh the amendments to the divorce act and they passed over this completely um, and again, uh, nobody's benefiting. What's the I argument against that. the default being 50-50? What is their, what's the pushback? I don't see how the, there could even be a pushback. The, the, the big response to it, critical response, is that it will empower men who commit domestic abuse. It will, it will make it easier for men to continue to engage in a reign of terror over their ex-wives and their children uh, by continuing to be more involved in their families' uh, activities than they than they deserve. But what to be. if there was no domestic abuse? Exactly, and that's why it's a rebuttable presumption. Because if there's any sign of that whatsoever, if it can be demonstrated, if there's sure. evidence, then it's off the table. Yeah. We're talking about the majority of cases where you have two loving, capable parents. They were loving, capable parents before the divorce. They should continue to be loving, capable parents after the divorce. The family court gets in the way of that, and there's really no good legitimate reason to do that. Who are these morons on the family court then? That's what I want to know. Who's making? Who are these people making these decisions? Don't they? Aren't well, they regular, normal ju- people? Judges are being too? trained in a certain way, and unfortunately, it's actually reinforcing the 1950s stereotypes yeah, that I was saying. referring to Nothing's earlier. Changed we live in an 1950s. insane world, Laura Bellotta. I know. So, how can fathers amplify the time they they spend with their children? Well, it comes down to both quality time and quantity of time. Um, unfortunately, when dads are reduced in terms of the amount of time that they spend, the relationship suffers. I mean, research is, is very clear. You can only squeeze so much quality out of a limited amount of time. The kids have to be with their dad, you know, physically in his presence for enough time that they can develop a relationship with him or preserve a relationship with him. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if it's not 50-50, it's got to be something pretty close to that. Um, otherwise, there, you know, the relationship will suffer. And we know there's a host of uh, mental health and, and social problems that come as a result of fatherlessness or growing up with father deprivation. Exactly. And that's what I want to talk about right now. So there are roughly 150,000 single parent families in Canada, with 80% of those being female lone parent families. Uh, There are many negative effects um, growing up without a father, right? 
We all know this. Uh, can you help us understand what growing up without a father can do to a relationship? Well, yes. Yeah, so the, the research on this is pretty clear. There are a wide variety, actually, of, of health repercussions, um, uh, other kinds of social problems. We know, for example, it's really sad to talk about, but things like delinquency, substance abuse, even suicide do correlate and I've all seen things it. being held equal I've with I've seen fatherless. it a lot. Absolutely. And it pisses me off, actually. It does. But you know what upsets me even more is when these mothers are being so selfish and, and don't allow the fathers to have a relationship with their children, knowing that it's going to mess up their kids, but they're being selfish about the it. The phenomenon called parental alienation. And I want to be clear, these things happen to both mothers and fathers. Uh, growing up without a mother is, is equally bad for your health. Um, however, there's a lot more public acceptance and respect and support for uh, mothers uh, who are single parents, co-parenting parents, etc., far more uh, uh, financial support from government, far more social programs. Those need to be available for fathers equally. And we're going to continue this conversation on how growing up without a father can affect you psychologically on the Dating and Relationship Show. Stay with us. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta. From singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show. Thanks for tuning in each and every Sunday night. Tonight we have Justin Trottier. He's an activist for gender equality in studio as well as uh, comedian Peter Anthony sitting in studio with me. And before the break, we were talking about the consequences of growing up without a father figure and how it can affect kids psychologically. And I want to continue with that conversation i'm a product of divorce laura yes yeah but i was a little older i was 18 when my parents split up well that just explains everything really oh no oh you're playing armchair armchair psychologist but you know what 18 still young though 18 yeah it it did it did probably affect me how do you think it affected you how i look at long-term relationships was definitely affected yes because i think what you're 41 now 42 and i 42 and never married but you don't look 42 thank you never married and you um i've lived with two different women so i've gone to that i think you have commitment phobia hey now you're afraid of commitment no you're afraid of making the wrong choice that's true yes this is true what if i do well, then, I guess, and you don't want to get a divorce. So for you... Actually, wait, I'm not afraid of making the wrong choice. I became a comedian for a living. That's the worst choice anyone can ever make. Yeah, but you do more than but that. You can get out of that. For a, <laughs> a lot easier. You yeah, do more than that. that. I mean, you work here at Chorus. That's true. Okay, so you have a job, so shush. Okay. Justin, are there any other ways that growing up without a father can affect you psychologically? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just what, 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 uh, what you were discussing, um, we model everything really on our parents, right? And so um, we model what a healthy relationship looks like on the first relationship we know, which is the one between our our mother and our father. And so if that relationship is not healthy, if there's abuse, of course, then we actually internalize that. And we know that... So that would be the flip side. That would be the The flip side. The positive aspects of going out It works in either direction. If it's positive you know, you you understand what a healthy relationship is. If you're not exposed to that, then obviously it's going to have repercussions. There's another interesting bit of research related to the modeling phenomenon. It's modeling healthy eating, of all things. And there's some research, Canadian research out of the University of Guelph just a few years ago. This is really interesting, groundbreaking work that children, for whatever reason, they're still exploring why, are more likely to model healthy eating on their fathers than their mothers. They're even correlating obesity 
between uh, a, a father who's, who's overweight and engaging in unhealthy eating habits and the likelihood of a child, more likely a son, but there's also some modeling that happens between father and daughter on uh, healthy eating behavior. So even something like eating, the modeling is something children are picking up from their parents, and in this case, in particular, their father, and looking at the relationship more broadly, again, the modeling is an important phenomenon, and it starts at a very young age. So dads, if you're listening right now, put down the snacks. You're being a bad influence on your kids. Well, Try to step up. I, I That's think right. in general, women co- cook more than men do. And I'm just generalizing, of course. I mean, because I know a lot of guys that are actually the chefs in their home. But for the most part, with my experience, is I, I've always taken care of my guys. So without me, they eat like crap. <laughs> Well, there you go. So, well, because a lot of guys are you patting don't... yourself on the back right I, now. I Laura? am. I am. Well, <laughs> many oftentimes, I mean, I mean, we're brought up to take care of our men, and we're the ones that are—they're uh, the breadwinners, and we're in the kitchen slaving over. That the does. Stove. That sounds like the 1950s, though, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> but that's generally uh, what happens. Yeah. Not always. Not always. Things are changing, but um, but yeah, that's yeah. it. Um. I... Yeah, I mean, things are changing, but I mean, my point has always been that people should be free to uh, engage in whatever role they want to kind of reinvent masculinity or femininity for themselves. If you are a woman who enjoys cooking, you shouldn't be discouraged from that. If you're a man who likes to be the the one to stay at home and do the cooking and taking care of children, there's nothing wrong with that either. Just let people choose for themselves and stop disincentivizing people from making their own choices. Can't we all just cook together in harmony? Isn't that, wouldn't that be ideal? Yeah, but it's it's it just doesn't happen. You don't want anyone else in your kitchen, do you? Like? I don't. I'm I'm yeah. Very Everybody, territorial. I'm very territorial in the kitchen. I'm a bit of a control freak in the kitchen. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Let's talk about how men view relationships today. So let's try to get into the male mind at the moment. So I really want to get inside the man, uh, the mind of a man when it comes to relationships because this is the dating and relationship show. I have so many questions to ask because times have changed and let's face it, so have we all. So some men nowadays seem very reluctant to marry or even live together. Why is this? And comedian Peter Anthony, you can probably answer this as well. Sure. Why? Um, well, uh, for me, it's uh, I've tried it twice. It didn't work out. So Not marriage. Right, but living together, yes. cohabitation. And am I reluctant to try it again? A little bit. I'm willing to, but I also think... But maybe I, you didn't... Wait, maybe you did not uh, date the girl long enough before you moved in. That's a possibility, yeah. I probably didn't know these people You well should probably enough. wait a, at least like a year before you move in with someone. Well, I waited a year and a half. Oh, you did? I did. Well, I thought that was enough, enough time. I yeah. think that's long enough. Yeah, but, but it's one of those things, too, where it has to vastly improve your situation and you have to be in in the right kind of relationship to make that work. But I bet there were a lot of red flags and you overlooked the red flags before you moved in, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah that's exactly, exactly right. Because we seem to think that things will change, that people will change. Well, I also want the thing that everyone else wants, right? And we all want that. But so, you have to really pay attention to those red flags early on in a relationship. Because guess what? And my mom always tells me this person's not going to change. The person's not going to change. And nine times out of 10, the person doesn't change. It's kind of true. But I mean, sometimes when you're when you're looking at a situation where, you know, you, you, you want to have a loving partner, you want to progress in life, you, you tend to do overlook things that probably should be jumping out like giant red flags. And I was, uh, I've made those mistakes. And I, I, I swear I won't do it again. Justin? Ever. 
Well, of course, there's a lot of individual psychological reasons that underpin why this or that man or woman uh, may not want to commit. I'm not going to I'm not going to get into that. Um, but I, I would just say sort of looking at the bigger picture, I think gender relations and gender roles are in transition. And both men and women are trying to readjust to what that actually means. And women as well as men need to understand that some men are going to prefer to do things that traditionally a woman would do, such as being a caregiver and staying at home and that sort of thing. Women have to be okay with that, just as men need to see it as a viable I'm option. I'm okay with that. And we're all kind of working to adjust to that new that new normal. It'll take time. We're talking about how men view relationships right here on the Dating and Relationships show. We'll be right back. Now back to the Dating and Relationships show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It's the Dating and Relationships show. We're back. I'm Laura Bilotta. Sitting in with me today is comedian Peter Anthony, and we are joined by Justin Trottier. He's an activist for gender equality. He is also the co-founder of the Canadian Center for Men and Families, which is known as Toronto's first hub for the health and well-being of boys, men, fathers, and families. And it's nationwide now. It is, yeah. We're active in uh, four different centers. Thank you. So before the break, we were talking about how some men are very reluctant to marry or even live together nowadays. And Justin, I know you wanted to uh, elaborate on that a little more. So just a little bit, because I think what's important is that there be communication at the beginning and then throughout a relationship. Because as I was saying, we are in a, in a bit of a transition where roles are changing. Um, and, and some people are kind of in a different place as far as that transition goes. Some people are happy with the more stereotypical roles for men and women, mothers and fathers. Others have a more, I guess, modern or... Uh, contemporary view of of this sort of fluid nature of of gender relations. And if you don't communicate, then you risk being in a relationship with a partner who has different expectations of what each of you are going to bring to the relationship. So it's it's okay to to be a a, a man um, who is more sort of stereotypically masculine, and I think it's equally okay to be a, a, a you know a man who. Uh, has more traits in common with, uh, you know, the traditional uh, female way of doing things. What's important, again, is communicating and making sure that you're on the same page and then we can resolve a lot of conflict. And let's face it, a lot of guys get duped, right? Once once they do get divorced. I know a lot of men that have lost their shirts. And oh, yeah. especially if you, and if you are a product of divorce, uh, like you were, Peter, that can definitely affect how you view relationships. Yeah, well, it will definitely sour you. And a lot of men have have not gone through it, but they have good friends who have, or they've seen how their dad was treated in a family court sort of proceeding. And so they don't want want that for themselves. And it makes them consider commitment in marriage as a a risky venture. Can we stop talking about divorce before I start crying (laughs) and move on to the next subject? (laughs) I'm kidding, Laura. Okay, so let's talk about, tell me a few pros and cons about what women should know about how men see relationships today. Well, I think the, the, the big pro is that a lot of men have a much more modern understanding of gender equality. I think most men are, are fully committed to that new way of understanding gender relations. And that actually gives men and women a lot more, many more options. So if a woman um, wants to, you know, 
go into engineering, wants to go into um, uh, any kind of other kind of pr- professional life that has traditionally been off limits to women, well, there's a lot more space uh, for her to do that. I think we've been a little less sensitive to the ways in which masculinity has has been changing and the fact that it should be equally okay for men to, if we're talking about professional life, let's say go into nursing, go into teaching, go into early childhood education. Um, I use that as an example because it's, it's, it's a good it's a good example of where we talk a lot about, you know, opening doors to women, but not so much about opening similar doors to men. If our conversations around gender equality were sort of equal opportunity conversations, we were as concerned about the issues, the perspectives, the options for men as we were for women, I think we'd have a much more sort of sophisticated, well-rounded gender gender equality conversation, and our policies would be more reflective of the, the changing situation for both for both men and women in Canada. And do you believe that men should still be chivalrous? You know, only if that's important to them and and the women that they're being Wrong chivalrous <laughs> on behalf of. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you yeah, want the I, guy who lays his coat down over the puddle. You no, want that but guy. I, I, you know what? I'm an old you're, you're school like a 1950s, romantic uh, movie. Probably you know yeah. yes. I I believe in chivalry. I know chivalry is on life support, but it's not dead yet. It, there's nothing wrong with with individual men or women you know, being chivalrous or expecting chivalry. What what I would have a concern with is just the expectation or society's expectation that men should be, should continue to be chivalrous and all the other sort of, in my opinion, antiquated traits of men. And at the same time, they should also occupy modern traits of masculinity. You, you kind of can't have it both ways. Is, let me, let me guess, we got to pick up the check too, right, Laura? Of course, especially on the first date. <laughs> hey, listen, if you're going to be asking me on a date, you better pick up the check. All right, all right. And I'll, I'll, I'll reach for my wallet, but you better not take it. That little fake reach where you, you just, okay, yeah, look at me. I'm not really grabbing it, though. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> commenting on that. Yeah. <laughs> Comment, I want to hear. Uh, okay, but you don't I think that if 50/50. you okay, but you don't think if you ask a lady out on a date that you should be chivalrous and and pay for that date because you took the time out to ask her out. Well, I took the you risk expect, in asking her out. So I'm, what would I'm you say to rejection. her? In okay. a sense, she kind of owes so, something to this whole so, risk taking endeavor. So how would endeavor. that conversation go at the end of the date? It would be like, uh, do you mind paying fifty fifty? Because I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, that lady's going to go. You know what? I'm probably not going to date this guy again. I, now, I'm, this is only this. I'm only saying this because I'm a matchmaker, and I know what oh, really? a lot of people, yes, that come to me want. Right. So, but I'd like to see or hear your views. As a matchmaker, you can find men and women that want the same thing. That's great. That's really great. Um, on the dates that I've had been on before I got married, um, the it, we always did fifty fifty. I can't think of any examples where it just wasn't assumed when the check came that we would that we would split it. It was never really? never an issue. Wow. Yeah. I generally, I've told Laura this. I generally pay for the first be probably five dates. <laughs> And then after that, it's sort of, I, I would expect she'd <laughs> be like, I got this he, one, Pete. Yeah, he crosses his arms and he sits and I there stare and goes, them. okay. And yeah. they're like, uh, yeah. And he's like, uh, yeah, um, it's or, your turn. Or I say, I have to go to the washroom and I just leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Or uh, am I? Okay, so um, what do men really want out of a relationship today? I don't think men there are a lot of misconceptions out there. Very different things, to be honest. I think they want to be respected for who they are. Uh, they want to be trusted. Um, they want to be in a relationship with somebody that that they can open up to. Um, as I said, I think communication is important. I think both parties uh, want to feel like they can have an open conversation when there's conflict or when there's trouble. Um, I'm, I really don't see a lot of difference between 
modern men and women in terms of what they what they value in, in each other. We are taking a break. We're coming right back. Stay with us. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thanks for tuning in tonight to the Dating and Relationship Show. And thank you so much, Justin Trottier. He's an activist for gender equality. He also co-founded the Canadian Centre for Men and Families. He's in studio here with us tonight. And comedian Peter Anthony is also in studio you haven't been that funny today. I'm. Tr- it's a deep subject matter. I'm talking about being abused, my parents being divorced. Suicide. Yeah, so it's like... make jokes. <laughs> but we were talking about... Can I bring up about the men's rights activist pushback when, when uh, your organization had run into some protests and, and problems with bringing in speakers and not being able to actually engage in these conversations in a public space? We were talking about that during the break. Do you want to? Do you want to uh, elaborate? Elaborate on that at all? Sure. So this is something that happened in the first couple of years that we were active. Um, so it's, it's it has been a while, um, but there was some pushback. There was a sense that um, to talk about men's issues and men as deserving a space to open up about their perspectives was inherently seen as a threat to women. And if anybody's been listening to this discussion. I, you know, I'm as baffled as you are how any of this can be seen as a threat. I mean, we're talking about um, men occupying uh, uh, modern uh, roles as as fathers, as caregivers. We're talking about uh, communication between the sexes so we can deal with conflict in a healthy, positive way. I'm advocating for, in some cases, services that are uh, making a really critical difference in, in the lives of men and their loved ones and their female partners and their children. So it's really hard for me to understand why anybody could see this as a threat. But I think there was a sense that um, to talk about gender equality, you're only permitted to look at women's rights, women's issues, and anything else was sneaky or there was a hidden agenda behind what we were doing and there's no agenda except to improve the health and welfare of men and their families that's really all it is and there's like there, there there's a we talked about though on on either end of a spectrum whether it's men's rights or women's rights or whatever there's going to be a radical element that can come in on the fringes and is that something you guys are aware of is that something you're trying to to push push out if that makes sense yeah, and in fact, we're working with um, some leading uh, women's and feminist organizations uh, to find common ground because a lot of these issues need to be tackled in collaboration between men's groups and women's groups. Uh, around domestic abuse in particular, there's an effort underway to work with a number of very prominent women's shelters, women's rights organizations who have accepted the reality that both men and women can be victims of domestic abuse. But what's interesting to your question is that those groups also have their radical elements, or at least feminism has its radical elements, who are making it difficult for those groups, those moderate groups, to work with us. And certainly there are radical elements within the men's rights movement uh, who also would like to see men's groups sort of going their own way and just working with men and and not having any kind of dialogue with women, let alone with with feminists. I don't like labels. I don't like the men's rights label. I don't like the feminist label either. I think when you talk about labels, that's all the conversation becomes. It gets limited to, do you share the same ideological label as me? And you never have a chance to go any deeper than that to find genuine common ground. Let's get back to the Canadian Centre for Men and Families because the show's almost over and I just I have more questions about that. Uh, what is bringing awareness to issues with men help? Uh, how can that help someone who is struggling with domestic abuse or uh, someone going through a nasty divorce? There's a number of 
programs we provide that that give men and their families a way of dealing with the crisis they're in in a, in a positive and a healthy way for themselves and also for their children and their partners and their and their loved ones. So I invite people to to visit us if they're in Toronto. We're, we're downtown at Jarvis and Carleton. Yes. Uh, you can reach out to us online at menandfamilies.org. All of our programs and services are free of charge. You can register for them online or just give us a call to get more information. Find out if we have something that can uh, that can support you. And, and what change uh, would you like to see for men or what changes would you like to see for men in the legal system? Well, I'd like to have a legal system that was responsive to the the needs um, and the perspectives of, of, of all all citizens. Um, and so we've talked about equal shared parenting, making that the presumption or rebuttable presumption in the Divorce Act. We've talked about policies around domestic abuse. Um, these are largely policies about how social institutions like police agencies uh, investigate and, and prosecute domestic abuse. I'd like to see uh, gender equality there. And there's miscellaneous other places in our legal system where we don't have uh, we don't have gender equality in the law. Um, you know, human rights legislation in particular, men can be discriminated against in various ways. And our human rights code is not responsive to that. It has essentially interpreted gender equality as meaning women's rights exclusively. And I'd like to see in general that that open up, that that understanding, that interpretation of gender equality was also responsive to the the needs and the rights of men. And what's happening right now to make those changes? Anything that you know of? Well, we're pushing very strongly towards equal parenting. There's a federal election coming up. We want to make that an election issue. Um, As we said, the government missed a a great opportunity to enshrine that into the Divorce Act law, um, but it's not the last chance for that. So that's going to be a big a big uh, push for us in the next uh, several months. Um, we continue to represent our clients who are dealing with uh, police or other agencies around family breakup, around domestic abuse. We're going to be working as much as we can with progressive elements within social institutions to try to make as much uh, positive change as we can. Well, Justin Trottier, you are an amazing individual. Thank you so much for joining us today. Comedian Peter Anthony, thank you for joining us today. I hope this episode has opened up your mind and has let you into the thoughts of a male. Male or female, we all undergo certain traumas and experiences and have a safe place to talk about it. That's a great start. The men's movement is alive and active, and I hope this episode has brought awareness as well as insight. Again, Justin Trottier, where do we find you? Easiest place is on the website, menandfamilies.org, or you can just drop in and say hi. And you can actually uh, Google his name. There's a lot of information, a lot of videos that you can watch. And comedian Peter Anthony, where do we find you? You can find me in dark basements telling jokes around the country. Uh, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> at Peter is funny. Cheers. You haven't made it to the main level yet? You're still in the basement? <laughs> Come on, how long have you been doing this? That's where they keep me. Okay. And for myself, you can uh, visit my website, singleinthecity.ca, if you are single and looking and want to find the love of your life. You can also find me on Instagram, Laura underscore Bellotta, and you can follow The Dating and Relationship Show as well on Instagram, The Dating and Relationship Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next week, ciao for now. 